<laughs> good morning, church. Good morning. It's so good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, before we jump in to the word this morning, let me just go ahead and pray. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, I, I ask that you would anoint my lips this morning to say words that come from you, and to be in a position where I am not only speaking for you, but receiving from you, Lord. I pray that you would empty me of me, and uh, I pray that every person here this morning would hear from you in something that is said this morning on stage. Lord, I pray that, uh, I pray that my words would be your words, not my words, and uh, Lord, speak to us. We are listening, and I pray that our hearts will be soft to hear what you have to say to each and every single one of us this morning. Amen. We've been in a series called Why Church Matters. Doesn't need a subtitle. Uh, Why Church Matters, and, and this is our fourth week, and so we are jumping right in. But to start off, I want to illustrate with a story. I'll never forget my first day on campus at Moody Bible Institute. Now, I, I started, when I started going to Moody as a college freshman, I was right out of high school. I was 18 years old, and I I was actually accepted into their Spokane satellite campus. I was not accepted into their main campus at the time. I later transferred, but I went out to Spokane, Washington, and I had a roommate named John from Chico, California. He was the, yeah, dude, kind of uh, roommate. And um, we made it our goal that, and this was, I don't know, maybe this was just a, a, a crazy goal, but we thought it would be really, really fun to, on day one of classes, meet literally everyone on campus. And so we were really excited about this. We kind of actually, we had it mapped out in the, the location that we were at in the, on the campus. We were going to go, and then we are going to go to this class. So we show up for our 8 o'clock orientation at 7.30, and we hit the ground running. We started meeting people left and right, and we went crazy all day. Literally all day, we were meeting people, and, and sometimes it was like 20 or 30 people per hour that we were meeting, which if you do the math, to pay attention to anything else. And so we would go and meet people. And the interesting thing about that was we actually, we met so many people from so many diverse backgrounds, from so many different countries, with so many different ambitions. But we, the, 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 the fascinating thing was at the end of the day, we met so many people with such diversity, but they were all there for one unified purpose, to, to gather, to learn, and be trained and given skills to study the Bible and teach the Bible and, and go out and reach the world for Jesus. Now, if you're wondering, we did not meet our goal. We, we were totaling up the roster at the end of the day. We met everybody but 12 people on campus. Um, so there you go. Um, it was a lot of fun, but we were exhausted by the end of the day. But the, the reality is a university is all about this idea of, of many diverse parts coming together in one unified whole. C Centers for Higher Learning, universities, they specialize in bringing unity. Right, that's, that's actually where the etymology of the word comes from. In the early 1300s Latin usage, uh, university was a term that was birthed to describe a location where many diverse parts came together to form a unified whole. It often described masters and scholars um, who, who were all in this unified pursuit. In other words, there was this common striving among the many different parts for a unified purpose. Unity in diversity. University. And this idea of unity has never been more desired 
than ever before. In fact, I hear people tell me all the time that we desperately need unity, that the world, that, that the church needs unity. And the reality is, the world really needs, and might I even say craves, Christians who are unified. But how does this happen? Some people seem to think, some people seem to think that if, if we just all agree together, we all agree on the same thing, if everyone is just blue or, or everyone is just really conservative or everyone is just really progressive or everyone um, agrees with this particular theological framework or, or everyone, we, we tend to think that if everyone just agrees with us, Maybe then we'll be unified. And, and so we craft these tightly spun arguments. We, we dis, discuss very volatile arguments and we're like passionate in our pursuit of getting everyone to agree with us. We create conferences for the melding of ideas and in, in, in the pursuit of uniformity, that ugly cousin that often gets mistaken for unity. We tend to get super frustrated with people who have differing opinions, differing perspectives. And so, so, so sometimes maybe we become belligerent in our discussions about predestination or speaking in tongues or when Jesus is going to return. Or, or, or maybe we do the opposite. We fall on the opposite side of the spectrum and we just, we, we just think that only, the only thing that matters is just loving people, all opinions and all feelings about life and living peacefully. And so we just, we take some precious truths that really do bring clarity and, and freedom and we toss them out the window and, and people with this particular thought process, I hear, and frankly, I heard it this week, bemoaning the and how much they're actually doing to help the world and, and decrying how much the ch- church is focused just on getting people to come here and hear them talk, how little they're doing to meet the needs of the hurting and the hungry. And so in our pursuits of unity, we often see diversity as a barrier. And so in the meantime, while we try to seek unity, we settle for that gross imposter named uniformity. We strive to eradicate ourselves of the ways that God has made us different, the different angles and perspectives that we approach life with, and we minimize the significance of those whose contributions don't really seem that important to what we think is the most important thing in life. And the danger... With, with either side of that spectrum, trying to get everyone to agree with you or, or just giving up on the significance of truth altogether, the danger is that we completely miss out on the glory and the beauty of how God himself designed the church to function and reach the world with the good news. That actually sounds good. Listen, the, the world is deprived of the richness of the gospel when we disregard diversity and settle for uniformity. I'll say that again. The world is deprived of the richness of the gospel when we disregard diversity and we settle for uniformity. It is. We sell the gospel short when we see diversity as a barrier to our unity. But I think what we're going to see in our text this morning is that God actually designed the local church to be this place where unity is brought from diversity. It, it's the heavenly university. It's the heavenly university that brings us together, trains us within our diversity, and equips us to reach the world with a unified purpose by way of our differing qualities.
qualities and capacities. The church is God's heavenly university to send us out into the world with the mission of Jesus. If you have your Bible, turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to invite you to stand and read in a very ambitious verse with me. I know, we can, we can do it. We can do it. We can do this together. I'm going to get to the rest of the text, I promise. I'm not just staying in one verse. I will get to the rest of the text, but I want to set it up in a second. But what I want to do is start by reading 1 Corinthians 12.1. So I think, I think we can manage a verse together. Can we do that? All right, here we go. Now, about the spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. Good job. You can sit down. I am so impressed. I think we're all ready for CrossFit. The very first words that Paul starts this chapter with. He's, 1 Corinthians 12, if you, if you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 starts kind of a new thought process um, or a, 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 a change in direction that Paul is taking in the whole of his letter to the church at Corinth. And so he starts by saying, regarding the... And the word he uses is pneumatikos. That's the Greek word that's translated spiritual gifts. But the reality is it's, it wouldn't translate into English the spirituals. It's just, but it really, it really refers to spiritual matters, spiritual things in general. He's not just talking about spiritual gifts. Regarding spiritual things in general, I, I don't want you to be ignorant. And, and a phrase to start off like that indicates that there's an abuse of spiritual matters and a misunderstanding that for them it was very important that Paul was writing this letter to them. In fact, the holes of chapter 12 and 13 and 14 are devoted to this question of what is God's intent for all of the spiritual things you're experiencing in the birth of this fledgling New, New Testament church. Working in unity with the diversity of the gifts of the Spirit, they're essential they're essential for the life of the church. And in fact, it's so important that, that God inspires Paul to write this letter to the church in Corinth to say, no, 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 okay, I know there's a lot of really amazing things going on, but here's what God has designed for those things to function best. Here's how God has is, is designed this to be, work best. If you remember, just before his ascension, right, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, Acts chapter 1, verse 5, he says, in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts chapter 2, that promise and, and many other prophecies were very literally fulfilled. But in the middle of such extraordinary events, loads of misunderstandings began to arise. You can imagine, right? You see somebody get up in front of a crowd of so many people, and he starts talking in what he thinks is his language, but everyone else hears it in their own language, and they understand it very clearly. And they're, they're, they're baffled, to say the least, as, as to what in the world is happening, and then and then in the birth of the early church, you start to see the different believers empowered by the Holy Spirit to build up the church and to glorify God with things that would not have been possible otherwise. So there was misunderstanding. Some delusional men were interesting. They were claiming to be the organs of the spirits, and they were the imposters. Some, some people actually weren't satisfied with the gift. They saw somebody else's gift, and they wanted that one, and they weren't satisfied with the gift that they were given by the Holy Spirit. Others were filled with pride, and they actually just made a public spectacle, profiting off of the gift of the Spirit that was given to them. They, they were filled with pride. 
And so the local church in Corinth to whom Paul is writing this letter, you can only imagine the confusion that was arising from the, the many amazing things that the Holy Spirit had gifted uh, believers with. But the sad reality was many people were really trying to show off their gifts, and many at the same time to the point that it became very confusing to anybody who wasn't part of that particular gathering. And the reality is, confusion and division were often the sad truths that were spoken about when people talked about the church in Corinth. It wasn't God who was glorified, it was their own crazy show that was glorified. Now here's the thing, what Paul is trying to teach the believers, um, and we're going to get to the metaphor that he uses of the body of Christ, Right, the body has many parts, but it's one body. He, he's going to use this. And, and, and what he's trying to teach them is that those who gather together, the local church, it's the university for uh, the many believers, the many parts, to learn how to express their giftedness in the Holy Spirit and really become who God has equipped them to be to a greater and greater degree. Right? The things that they, they were trying to pursue on their own was part of what their story was, but really... The, the truest part of who they were is the way that God had equipped them, the, the things that God had made them for. That was really the core of their identity. And, and Paul is trying to get them to understand, like, here's the proper way to express this so that you really become the truest part of who you are. The local church, as he's saying, is, the, is where you develop in the skills necessary to become the person that God supernaturally equipped you to be. Right, if, if, if you're not familiar, like every single person of all time, when they become a follower of Jesus, is not only indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Each believer has a spiritual gift, something that you wouldn't be able to do if the Holy Spirit weren't empowering you to do it, or something to a greater degree that you wouldn't be able to do. And the local church is where you're supposed to grow in expressing that and learn how to glorify God and build up the church better. Now, you're probably like, why are you saying the local church? I don't see that in the text here. Couldn't this just mean the, the universal church? The, the expression of all believers of all time? Why am I saying the local church is the university where God has designed, you, uh, God has designed for you to grow into the person he made you to be? Because this metaphor that we're about to see, the body of Christ, refers to Christians using their gift for the building up of the body. Uh, other believers. And where is it that other believers interact with each other the most? Here, in the local church. And so he says, now about these pneumaticas, these spiritual things, I don't want you to be ignorant. Please, please don't miss out on this beautiful truth. Ignorant is a strong implication, and I think Paul uses it intentionally. Because if you are missing out on this amazing blessing that God has designed for his believers, and you're trying to do it on your own, this me and Jesus faith without other believers in a local church, Paul is saying, you're, you're ignorant. In other words, if you think you can live for Jesus on your own without the local church, you probably need God's university, the body of Christ, more than you realize if this deception is creeping into your, your thoughts, your feelings, your calendar, 
that you don't actually need to be part of the body of Christ on a regular basis, it's probably a sign that you're further away from God's design for your life than you realize. Don't be ignorant. And so this idea that the Apostle Paul is thinking of is, is, is it's so vital for believers to hear what he's saying when he's, he's starting this chapter off. The spiritual unity for the church is so necessary for these body of believers in Corinth to be hearing from Paul. He's saying, man, 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 no, 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 no. You need this unity. It's vital. Those with certain gifts, they're not greater than, they're not less than, they're not more important than, they're not less important than. So to add clarity to his statements, he draws this powerful word picture for the church, and that's the picture, the metaphor of the body. All right, so I'm going to, we find it in verses 12 through 20, well, through the end of the chapter. I'm going to start off with 12 through 20 just to, um, to start off the point that I want to get to. Here, Paul says, the body is a unit. Though it's made up of many parts, though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. In other words, it doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. We were all given one spirit to drink of. Now the body is made up of many parts. Not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not part of the hand. I don't belong to the body. I want to play catch. It wouldn't, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It wouldn't, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, if you just went all Mike Wazowski, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But... Crucial conjunction, contrastive conjunction. But on the opposite hand of the implied answer of the question he just asked, on the opposite hand, if God have, in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every, every one of them, just as he, as he wanted them to be. Don't miss this. You look around. This is, the bo- this is the local expression of the body of Christ. God has arranged it just so, the way that he wanted it to be. You are not here on accident. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts in one body. You notice the sense of unity and diversity? This is an amazing opportunity for the church to make Jesus, the head of the body, look really, really good, as he already is. The problem comes in when Christians either think that their body part doesn't matter or that their part is the only one that matters. That's, that's where the issue is. That's what Paul's writing to here. Well, what would it look like to you? What would you think of me if I let certain of my body injury or ineffectiveness or danger? Like, well, you'd probably think I was crazy, right? Picture this. Um, you and me, we're, we're waiting in line for a roller coaster, okay? So, so we're waiting in line, and it's, it's not a crazy long line. It's kind of a shortish line, so it's like 30-minute wait. Um, and it's a really good roller coaster. This roller coaster goes 0 to 80 in 3 seconds, right? So there's only a few of you who would be in that line with me. But I would love that so much, so much. And it goes up and down and around and around, and it goes through a really dark cave, and it's, it's a lot of fun. So we're waiting in line, and we hear... 
uh, off in the distance, the voice of the operator. Keep your hands and legs in at all times. Keep your seatbelt secured, securely fashioned. Make sure, yeah, supervise the children. All right, there we go. I found one. I think that one's at, uh, I don't even remember. I think that's at Disney. I think if I remember it, that one's from Disney. So keep your arms and legs in at all time. Supervise the children. And I look at you, and we're talking, and we're having a blast. We get a little bit closer. We're maybe like three or four uh, people in line away from getting in. We hear the operator say to the people getting in the cars, keep your arms and legs in at all times. Supervise the children. Make sure your seatbelt is safely fastened. Yada, yada, yada. We get in, and we hear that familiar voice of the operator. Keep your arms and legs in at all times. Supervise the children. Make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. And I look it over you, and I go, and you're like, oh, no. We take off. We go so fast. We're like, woo, woo, we're having a blast. And then we get around the corner, and we're about to enter that deep, dark cave. And then at the end of the cave is going to be the end of the ride, right? And we get in, and I'm like, I want to touch it. And you're like, what are you doing? No. And I reach up and go, and just then we enter the darkness of the cave, and all you hear is me moaning the rest of the time. And we get out, and my arm is just kind of dangling. It's not even attached, okay? Like, I just ripped it clean off, but it's still in my shirt. Okay, there's just like blood just gushing everywhere. Some of you are like passing out. Uh, and you're like, what is wrong with you? We need to get you to the hospital. We need to get your body part fixed. We need to call 911. And I go, nah, it's fine. You're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I got another one. This one's not that important. You would probably be thinking, you need more than medical attention. Let me call a psych psychologist or something, right? Like, you are crazy, and I'm never going to let you, I'm never going to trust you to give me advice on how to live my own life. You, I don't trust you at all. I'm never going to ask you for help to help me take care of anything. What, what are we saying to the world about Jesus, whose body we are? If we allow certain Christians within our gathering to languish in pain or separation or ineffectiveness or danger, at the very least, we're, we're saying that Jesus maybe isn't who we say he is. And the world looks at that and goes, maybe, I'm not so sure I want to ask Jesus to be part of my experience. I don't know if I trust him, if that's what his body looks like. This is what Paul is communicating with a very powerful metaphor. I'm going to continue on. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Say to the, uh, to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. Notice the discrepancy between perceived reality and ultimate reality, right? You look at a body and you go, of course, you might think that one part of your body, but the reality is you need it all, right? Science tells us you, you need your feet in order to get anywhere. Well, you don't need it, but it's helpful. That's the way that, right? That's the way you were born. That's the way I so, What you might perceive about the body of Christ is important and, and compared to what Jesus has designed the body. Like, the discrepancy sometimes exists between our perceived reality and our ultimate reality. And, and, and he's saying, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts of the body that you think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Unpresentable, we treat our presentable parts no, need no special treatment. So God has just combined the members of the body and given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that 
That's the purpose statement. With the purpose of, with the intention of, because, so that there should be no division. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you, you are the body, and each one of you is a part of it. You are the body, and each one of you is a part of it. He's, he's drawing the very human experience, the parallel to the very human experience that we often love to give more honor to certain parts of the body and less honor to other parts of the body. Can I say this, that the opposite could not be more true, that the, that the rest of the body is yearning for you to operate? It is. You know, people often tell me, and sadly this is not an isolated conversation, that you, you look like you're doing fine in your youth ministry or, or our church. Like, you guys look like you have it together. You look like you're doing okay. Um, and so instead, I don't feel like I need to plug in. Instead, I'm probably not going to stick around too much. And they get out of the habit of being connected on a, on a regular basis to the body of Christ, the local body of Christ. And unfortunately, just what I've seen is some of them aren't even walking with Jesus anymore. Right? Because it started when they're like, yeah, you look like you're doing fine. I don't need to help you there. Okay, I'm just kind of here for myself. But I, don't, I guess I don't really, oh, I'm just here every once in a while. And, and eventually, the body of Christ is not part of the regular experience. And frankly, Christ himself becomes less and less part of what they pursue in their experience. And that started... When they just said, you know, I'm going to step out just for a little bit. You look like you're okay. That my part is not that important. And they bought the lie that they don't matter that much to the rest of the body. On the other hand, I talked to some other people because they left because of somebody. Hardly ever. Now, it happens, but hardly ever do people leave a church for doctrinal reasons. Unfortunately. A lot of times, some people leave the church or they leave the church attending habit because of a bad experience with other believers. You guys ever played um, this game before? It's called Operation, right? I remember, I don't know if you remember this or not, Ben. My brother's here today. Um, we used to play this, and I used to try to bump his arm so that he would hit it, right? And you're trying to get these little body parts out. Ugh! Okay, I got it, right? And there's, there's little things you're trying, there's a screwdriver. Why is it in your foot, right? <laughs> and and if, you, if you bump a certain body part just wrong, the truth of the matter is sometimes there are certain parts of the body that think that their part is so that when they're bumped wrong and their preferences are adjusted, and what they like the most isn't given to them all the time, or, or someone comes at them from an angle that they weren't prepared for in the body of Christ. And you just wonder, why in the world do people not want to go to church? You just wonder, why in the world does the world look at Christ and say, man... If only I could know Jesus when it, apart from Christians, 
when we were the ones designed to show him to them. The reality can be sad at times that some Christians are like some of these body parts in operation and and they don't work together in unity because they're a little bit more concerned with their preferences, their own experience, their own favorite Bible translation, having, having the same seat every single week certain level of comfort of what's expected of them at church, wanting to avoid confrontation with that one person. Maybe it's the fear of being too known or the fear of not being known enough. Maybe there's too many new things going on or too many old things going on. The preferences kind of get in the way. Maybe, maybe it's, um, they like somebody else's preaching or teaching style better. They viewed soccer practice as more important. Their judgmental attitude wasn't tolerated. Someone didn't make their favorite issue the most important issue ever. They didn't like the service time. They didn't feel like the connections happened easily enough. Right? It's it's preferences getting in the way. They believe the lies of personal shame. And they're like, I don't don't really want to go actually find healing for this. I just want to cover it up. Uh, I would prefer not to be around other Christians. Maybe they were caught, unfortunately, in the power struggle between certain members. Maybe they saw mom and dad get more excited about their performance in band or in sports than about their spiritual growth and they just gravitated towards what was celebrated. Maybe there weren't enough black and white answers on debatable issues. Maybe they're too concerned about their specific taste in music. In other words, they got so concerned with their own preferences that the mission of Jesus just kind of became something on a list and not the entire list. Now, don't get me wrong, even as a pastor, I, do, I would admit that there are times, rare times, when it might be appropriate to leave a particular local church. But way too often, way, way too often, it's personal preference that takes priority over the plan of God himself for his followers, which is the growth that is rooted and planted in a local church. And to take it one step further, let me be as bold as to say this, God's Goal for your life is not your happiness. Can I say that? God's goal for your life is to make you more like Jesus. It's to make you to be conformed into the image of his son. Translation, God is not trying to make you happy today. God is trying to make you holy today. Now, I happen to believe that if you set your part, you set your life aside to live holy and to be consecrated in the way that God designed for you to live, there will be joy that overflows from that. Right? I, I believe that a fruit of the Spirit indwelling you is joy. But God's not trying to make you happy today. Think, think about it this way. Think about it this way. If, if, you're, if God's goal for your life is to be more like Jesus... How do you learn the patience that Jesus had unless somebody annoys you? Oh, I'm going to step on some more toes, okay? How do, you, how, do you learn, how do you learn the committed love that Jesus has for you? But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, how do you learn that kind of love until somebody doesn't return love to you? Oh, it's just not working. We fell out of love. You're not committed to fall in love. You're committed to walk in love. How, how, do you, how do you learn the forgiveness that Jesus forgave you with unless somebody gives you 
something to forgive. How do, how do you learn the generosity of Jesus unless you're given the opportunity to empty your supply into somebody else who cannot pay you back? Truth is, you, you need to be rubbing shoulders with other imperfect people constantly so that you can have the opportunity in the likeness of Jesus, which is God's goal for your life. And we're better to do that. We're better to see others doing that than in a church of imperfect people who are on a unified mission to love God and love others and to serve the world together. There is so much more happening in your experience here at church than you realize. When you get so focused on what you prefer or what you don't prefer in a church service and you begin reacting to the imperfections of other Christians around you with, with anger or with pointed words or with annoyance or with straight up judgment, you miss out on the glory and the beauty that God designed for you to be in a place where the world can look and get a glimpse of the Savior. Verse 18, he says, but in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body. Each, each, man, I tell you what, that person next to you who is annoying, God put that person there on purpose for you maybe, for maybe for somebody else. God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to. If that person were missing, if you were missing, where would the body be? If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is many parts in one body. So when you have people leaving the church, it's often because you have people believing the lie that some parts have greater importance than others. But God sees it so differently. He sees it so differently. Verse 24. But God has combined the members of the body and given greater honor to the that there should be no division in the body, that there should Parts should be having equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. He's describing the absolute vitality of every single member in the body of Christ. There isn't a single member that doesn't matter. In the absence or the malfunctioning of even one member, all suffer. And in the, the growth and the benefit of one, all rejoice. So, so here's, here's the point. Here's what Paul is teaching these local believers in Corinth. This is the point he's trying to get across. Is that, that, that the, there is beautiful diversity in how Christians were designed to function within the church. There's a greater uni unity realized in the value and the purpose of what they were made for. And frankly, the same could be said for every church of all time. That the diversity of each individual part that makes up this local church, it's, it's beautiful. God designed it that way. And when each part is working together in the way that God put it together, there's actually a greater unity realized. And don't miss this. We become more like Christ in the process. And the world is given a better picture of him in our unity. In other words, I need you. And you need me. Because we need Jesus. Why, why church matters? Why does it matter that you are connected and committed to a local body of believers? Because we need you 
And frankly, you need us. We, we are different parts of the body, and if one part is missing, or thinks it's better than others, or is malfunctioning, or suffers, we all experience that suffering. There's something that each of us brings to this experience of, of the body of Christ that if you were missing, we would miss out on that much more of our experience of being more like Christ. Please don't withhold that from me. Please don't withhold that from the person sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you or watching online. Hold that. If one part is suffering or is missing or is malfunctioning or is operating in less than health, we're all experiencing the suffering of that. You would miss out on a significant part of the renewing and growing life that Jesus died and rose again to purchase for you if you're not connected and committed to a local church. That's what he's saying here. We are the body of Christ. I need you and you need me because we need Jesus. Don't, don't miss this. Don't forget this. I need you. And you need me because we need Jesus. Can I be real with you for a minute? I know my own experience that when I'm doubting, it happens. When I'm feeling burnt out, it happens. When I'm feeling just, hope you can relate. <laughs> I'm feeling tempted, when I'm feeling upset, when I'm feeling puffed up even. That it's, it's often difficult just to hear a verse in isolation and instantly have a vision for my life of what it's like for me to be holy and set apart and consecrated to God in that area of my life. Just listen to the Bible more. Okay, good. That is a great first step. But instead, it's often the example that I see in others that boosts my faith. It's the faithfulness of a children's ministry volunteer that strengthens my resolve. It's, it's the prayers of a widow who brings me back to that sweet hour of prayer. It's the boldness of an excavator who shares his faith at work gives me confidence. It's the tenderness of a mom with her hands full that inspires my heart. It's the diligence of a Sunday school teacher handling the word of God that points me back to another look in the text. It's the secret moments of worship in someone's private moment that I just happen to glimpse that gives me, that unlocks the voice of my heart to God. It's the faith of a pizza guy who says, I don't, every single week I will give, and I will give because I trust that God will bless. It's the humility of a local author who could be anywhere else gaining massive exposure for her next project, but believes so deeply in the plan of Jesus to change individual lives week in and week out through the local church that lifts my head to see that the harvest is ripe right around me, not somewhere else where the grass is greener. It's the consistency of a youth volunteer who's been led through multiple youth pastors in the same church and still has a beating heart to see teens know Jesus that lifts my eyes and opens my eyes to see more than pizza and dodgeball. It's the imperfect marriage that puts one foot in front of another on the steady commitment to choose love once again even when it hurt. The last time that points me to the reliability 
of a Savior who may take the problem away or may simply walk with me through the darkest moments of it. It's a shy girl who loves Jesus so much that she chooses courage over fear to sing glorious songs to Jesus in front of a congregation every other week that renews my spirit with hope and with joy and with courage. If you didn't notice, I just described the many lives in front of me. We, we are the body of Christ. Jesus isn't waiting on somebody else. It's us. It's now. It's you. It's me. I need you. And you need me. Because we need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. So stop sitting on the sidelines. Stop making church just an option in your seasonal smorgasbord. Maybe it's time we stop placing priority on personal preference and chose instead to follow God's plan for his people, a commitment to spiritual growth in the context of other believers in a local church. And maybe then the world will know that we are his disciples, his bride, when they see the committed love that we have for each other. I, I need you. And you need me because we need Jesus, and because the world needs Jesus. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, how majestic is your name. And we desire to make that name great in this community with our lives. And so I pray that I pray that you would give us a vision of the beauty of your plan. And I pray that you would strengthen our spirits as we are connected to this body of believers. Draw us closer to you and to each other as we seek to follow you week in and week out in your body. Amen.